0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, good afternoon. Welcome. It is just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on this Thursday edition of Lifeline for September the 7th. Greg Burt from the California Family Council is going to join us a little bit later on in the program tonight to give us an update over the the battle for parental notification rights in our state. And uh, you might have heard we would mentioned this earlier in the week that Attorney General Rob Bonta filed a lawsuit against the Chino Valley Unified School District over a recent policy there that mandated teachers inform parents about what's going on with their children. Why do you even need a policy to encourage that wouldn't that seem to be normal well apparently not so and apparently not to the liking of the ag's office so we'll tell you what's all about and why this has uh, implications not only that that will ripple through the entire state but through the entire country And we'll get to that a little bit later on in tonight's program speaking of issues that have implications rippling through the entire country you know if you look at the recent spate of floods tornadoes hurricanes, fires. My goodness, it seems like both coasts have just been buffeted um, without any mercy. And if you're a California homeowner, well, you already know that median price of a home in the Bay Area for just a little tiny cracker box is about $1.2 million. If you try to buy that home today, you're going to pay an interest rate of over 7%. You'll pay 2% plus, plus, plus. In property taxes, by the time you're done with um, principal, interest, taxes, insurance, at all, about an $8,600 a month house payment. And of course, on top of all of that, you want to make sure that that home is protected against that preceding list of floods and fires, and of course, in a place like California, earthquakes. But Getting your home insured is becoming more and more problematic, so much so that the insurance industry in California is starting to frighteningly look a lot like the insurance industry in Florida, where increasing numbers of insurers have just said, that's it. We can't make money at this. The number of natural disasters in the state is causing us to pay out untold millions and even billions of dollars in claims. And so you reach the point where you just, you can't function because it's just not worth it. California in recent years, here's a shocking number, has lost 39,000 homes to wildfires in just the last five years. Let me say that again. 39,000 homes turned to ashes in California. Due to fires. And in recent weeks, we've heard some big names, household names, names we all know, state farm, farmers, most recently Safeco, saying, yeah, we're, we're kind of done. They're either restricting the number of new policies that they're writing or withdrawing from the state altogether. And while some might argue that the so-called California Fair Plan is an alternative, the question is, at what price? So what about all this? Let's find out what's going on. Joining us is consumer advocate and insurance industry expert, Jeff Arnold. Jeff is the author of Leading Across the Generations, a guide to managing and motivating multi-generational workforce, has more than 30 years of experience in the insurance industry. And Jeff, we appreciate you taking some time to be with us tonight.
0: Craig, thank you
2: so very much. Uh, I have to say your, your, your summation at the top of the of the uh, call here is just just spot on, right? It's uh, California is looking eerily similar to Florida, uh, and I would also submit to your listeners that uh, uh, it is not a good time for an insurance company anywhere, based upon just the weather, uh, the, the inability of states to approve rate increases. Uh, which you can argue for and against that, uh, and then just the escalating cost of solving claims in concrete and wood and labor. And I'm not just going to bat for the insurance companies. I'm just you know painting the picture more like, like you. Did. The, the losses are substantial. The amount of uh, weather-related um, losses are, are growing almost exponentially, and it's tough uh, if you're told you can only charge so much to, to make things balance. So um, lots of fun time ahead. I would say this. The insurance industry is very resilient and very nimble uh, and very creative. They'll, they'll come out of this. It's just how long uh, are we, the policyholders, owners, the consumers, going to be forced to, to uh, bear the brunt of double-digit rate increases. I don't have a crystal ball for that, but I know that uh, fr- free market economics should take hold, uh, hopefully, in the, in the next year to 18 months.
1: You know, over the longest time, uh, California was a fairly friendly state in which to obtain homeowners. Insurance. Of course, if you have a mortgage, your lender is going to insist upon it. If you don't have a mortgage, you should insist upon it to protect uh, what is, for most of us, arguably the largest investment we'll ever make in life. But we've seen, as I've suggested, this increasing spate of events in California, be it flooding or fires, even the occasional earthquake, although those, those are, are, are fewer and far between, comparatively speaking. But, but the toll has really added up. I mean, when you think about the high cost of labor Labor. And then sourcing materials, and yeah, and the the irony in California as we have all these forest fires, California, Oregon, and Washington, three states that are also the nation's biggest suppliers of timber. So the material prices are forced up. And, you know, uh, while some might argue, well, gee, in a nothing going on year, the insurance companies are raking in the loot like a bandit. Well, that may be true. But in these terrible years where they may have claims that are coming into the billions of dollars, it becomes very difficult to justify to your shareholders uh, continuing in business. And undoubtedly, some of these factors is what has led many of these well-known household names like Allstate and State Farm and farm farmers, et cetera, to say, you know, we're going to have to change something here. But what are the concerns that I've heard talked about that maybe you can shed some light on? That's kind of the, you know, insider conversation. And that is a problem with California. And again, Jeff, jump in here and correct me if I'm wrong. But isn't it true that in California, um, one of the regulations that insurance companies must deal with um, is the state's take on so-called reinsurance and reassurers for the benefit of listeners are essentially insurance companies to the insurance companies and that there are restrictions in terms of how much of those reinsurance costs can be passed on to the consumer, which says if a company is putting or having to pay out large claims, of course, their their fallback position is the reinsurer. If they're paying out large claims, they do what anybody does. They increase the rates. But if those rate increases cannot be passed on through the insurance companies directly to the policyholders, you and me, then it almost makes an untenable situation for the insurance companies, doesn't it?
2: Oh, you're absolutely right, and, and, and I'm so impressed with how well-studied you are and, and quite candidly adept at all of it. Um, there, uh, there, of course, exists everything that you just pointed out, um, and in their defense, regulators um, are there to protect the consumers, right? So you don't want a, an insurance company running roughshod over everyone and charging way more, uh, but, but that doesn't exist in any state, right? All 50 states have an insurance department that limit you know, amount of profitability for lack of a better word um it just so happens that the pendulum sometimes in california this state and florida swings so far back that it bears uh really close to resembling regulatory lunacy uh nothing against those uh regulating the things but then when companies have no way to navigate and no way out They just close up shop and they leave. And that's what we're witnessing. Again, not pointing fingers at just one regulation, but it's a combination uh, and a consolidation and a dogpiling of all of them that they're just saying, look, there's no negotiation room. There's no uh, there's nothing that's malleable. We have to exit until some sanity takes hold. Um, And and, and that's what we're experiencing in in a handful of states.
1: Is there a potential for real significant disaster here? Uh, Let me rephrase that. A a disaster that creates significant economic disaster. And I pose that question because obviously if you have a mortgage, your mortgage company is going to insist that you have an valid policy. But I suppose if you own the house outright, you can kind of leave it up to yourself. Um, I think that would be foolish, but some people at least have the option to decide not to insure. One of the issues in California, of course, is every year when we get our policy uh, renewal offer, if you're lucky enough to get one this year, um, along that time also comes a reminder that you are not covered for earthquake damage. And so you can insure for that, but it is an additional policy, oftentimes up to one to one and a half times the cost of your regular policy. So if say you're used to spending $1,000 a year (laughs) the average homeowner's policy. Now you add to that earthquake insurance. Now you're spending maybe $2,500 a year. But if you choose to forego either or in the case of somebody who owns the house outright, both options, boy, it doesn't take too many of those people to um to then be the victims of a disaster and all of a sudden we have an economic disaster brewing in the state because i would suspect a lot of people are going to say hey wait a minute fema what about washington dc hey sacramento aren't you going to help bail me out i mean this just seems to be a potential economic disaster brewing jeff
2: it, it's very it's very possible. And uh, uh, just a, one caveat here to, to your listeners that the, when FEMA steps in, that is not a rescue. That is a loan. So now you're paying, if you had a mortgage, uh, now you're paying your regular mortgage plus that loan back to, uh, from FEMA. So some of those are grants. The majority of them are
1: loans. No free lunch. Uh,
2: absolutely. Uh, when I was growing up in school, there was a poster that said, Tinstoffel, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? <laughs> it, doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Uh, the, the other piece I would add is that You know, to many consumers, uh, there is already financial chaos because when your home insurance goes up 25, 30 percent, that can quickly impact your household budget. And so depending at where anyone is at on the economic spectrum, it's already a crisis. It's already growing chaos because you know it's not just the insurance that's going up. Gas is going up. Food's going Everything, of course, is going up. Um, and this is just another one of those that's, uh, wait, what? insurance should go down, right? That's the mental belief that it should never go up. It should only go down. And therein, when you've got three straight years of price increases like we've had in California, uh, it, it rubs really the wrong way and a bad taste in everyone's mouth.
1: When we come back after the break, I want to have you kind of walk us through what some of the alternatives are and kind of gaze into your your crystal ball, Jeff, and give us a sense of where you think all of this is headed and what time we might reach a little level of parity here. I and mean, again, nobody can predict what the weather cycles are going to look like and when the next fire might be and how destructive it might be. But, but maybe you can offer at least some some predictions. One issue here, I'll, I'll leave this as a teaser going into the break, a good friend of mine preparing for retirement, um, wife had grown up in the Reno area, decided, you know, it would be wonderful to own a home, you know, Timberline area, maybe up in the Sierras, um, right along California, Nevada border, and so acquired a beautiful home there, called up the insurance company and said, yep, bought this beautiful house, ready to insure it. And the insurance agency said, sure, let me run some numbers and I'll get back to you and came back and said, well, I found a policy and it's going to cost you twenty six thousand dollars a year to which my friend said, wait, what? Uh, My house in the Bay Area, I'm not even spending two thousand dollars a year. You're telling me that it's going to go from two grand a year to two grand a month. Is that absolutely right? Well, that's completely unacceptable. Poke around for something else to which the insurance agent came back and said, um, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's the best deal that's out there. And if you turn them down, you might find it nearly impossible to find another carrier that's willing to give you the necessary insurance. And so I would just simply be grateful that you can get insurance at all. Pay the man. As painful as it may be, is this part of the new life of owning homes in California, particularly in more so-called high-risk areas? We'll talk about that and more. Jeff Arnold with us tonight, consumer advocate, insurance industry expert. Information available on the web. You go to leading.jeffarnold.com. A timeout. Back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation. Correction on Jeff Arnold's website is indeed simply jeffarnold.com. That's jeffarnold.com. He is a consumer advocate and a leading insurance industry expert. We're talking about this trend that's happening in California. In the wake of multiple years of fires and flooding and even the occasional earthquake or two, insurance carriers are just saying it's becoming too expensive and it's too great of a liability. And so... Many are deciding to pull out of the state. Some have said, we'll stay, but we just don't write new policies. And so then it leaves the question, what are your options? And certainly the ideas I suggested, Jeff, before the break of just foregoing insurance, should you be one of the few that owns your house outright, probably not a very smart idea.
2: Admittedly, I agree. I will present you with a stat that is is quite staggering, just came out in a a Forbes uh, insurance publication uh, actually uh, last week that 12% of uh, homeowners who own their home outright without, without a mortgage are actually. Not insured are not carrying insurance. So, wow. um, that is, uh, of those that have it paid off, it's 12% of the total of, of those, not 12% of total homeowners, but 12% of total who have no mortgage. And that's a staggering statistic, you know, quite, quite literally, because for so many people, it's the largest asset they have, as, as you alluded to earlier. Um, but it is also a sign of the times. And of course, that, that statistic is heavily weighted to California. Florida, uh, and then the, up and down the east coast where are, where there are more coastal exposures.
1: So clearly, you know, we used to consider things like what the uh, we're going to buy a home, what does the atmosphere look like, meaning the neighborhood, how close is it to good quality schools, employment, church, you know, whatever, Uh, all of those factors that folks typically consider when buying a home. Do we need to start also factoring in then the potentiality of risk factor and recognize that there are just simply areas that, albeit perhaps, are some of the quaintest and most attractive? I mean... Who doesn't want to have a giant redwood tree in your backyard, of course, until the tree catches on fire and takes your home with it? So is this going to force Californians to reconsider uh, the old adage, location, location, location?
2: It, it absolutely could be a, a checkbox on your to-do list. Uh, check the insurance, right? Check the hazard insurance, the earthquake insurance, the flood insurance, because that can absolutely impact. And uh, certainly, you know, we've heard stories, like, like you said, of the 20 plus thousand in, in just in premiums per year, <clears throat> where earthquake flood and the dwelling insurance um, exceed fifteen eighteen thousand, and that's all. That paints a, a vastly different financial picture for someone, right? Uh, you know, one of the great uh, takeaways from, from any of these type of conversations is that when we're trying to educate consumers on on the insurance industry, is if, if I can just a second, uh, is Craig, is that um, the biggest mistake consumers make is to assume incorrectly that all insurance is the same. The only difference is the price, because no industry, uh, nobody would think if you bought uh, a Cadillac and you paid less for Hyundai that the Hyundai was better, or if you took your partner out to a nice steak dinner versus Carl's Jr., that that would be better. But for some reason, the way the insurance companies have marketed themselves, and, and rightly you know, spent billions of dollars in doing so, there's this consumer mindset that it's all the same. So the number one thing that we try to teach people is the old uh, adage, you know, caveat into it. Higher, beware! You get what you pay for, it. and so instead of focusing the conversation of how much and how cheap, we just try to teach consumers to say, you know, uh, uh, we, we prefer you use an agent because you have somebody who's committed and educated and devoted to that industry. But start the conversation: is tell me what the exclusions are, tell me what's not covered, tell me how much I'm going to have to self-insure and then give me the prices, um, because that changes the conversation to you being surprised up front and paying for and knowing what you get, than on the backside at claims time, where there's much more vulnerability for, for greater loss. Uh, yeah,
1: you know, and at the end of the day, to to argue over, gee, I, can, I found another policy and it's $200 a year cheaper, and you think about, you know, being able to take your wife out to a nice dinner for that amount of money, but not doing your homework to recognize that that $200 difference might be whether or not the policy provides full replacement value or or things that we don't think of. Like, okay, if your house catches on fire and you are dislocated and maybe say it takes six months, eight months to rebuild by the time you find a contractor, do the plans, get it approved, source the materials, construction starts, the contractor, of course, you know, shows up late six days of the week, all that good stuff. (laughs) If you don't have relatives with a spare room that really, really like you, What if you have to go and rent a house temporarily to keep your kid in that same school district or you, heaven forbid, find yourself in an extended stay or in a hotel or something? If that kind of coverage is not built into your insurance policy, all that's coming out of pocket, isn't it?
2: absolutely it's a, it's a very valid point to, to, to why that what you're really buying is a legal contract right so again I'm repeating myself but caveat in tour buyer beware you're buying a legal contract and if you hear horror stories about people saying well, my house wasn't done but they kicked me out of the hotel because I only had X amount of uh, additional living expenses well you bought that policy, again, assuming that they're all the same just based upon price, and so you're uh, penny-wise and pound-foolish, right, that uh, you thought you were saving money, but when you needed it, it wasn't there. And that's the biggest difference, right? If it's cheaper, there's a reason, and I'm not, we're not against saving money. Everyone is, but in this industry, when it's a legal contract, but uh, once you sign it, who are you going to sue, right? Like everyone wants to sue everyone, <laughs> but if it's your house and you sign it, it's tough to sue people. So just be aware and change the conversation from how much is the premium to can you just tell me what's not covered, what's excluded, and you know can I self-insure more to maybe reduce the rate? I did want to, before the break, you said something about what's going to happen, and so briefly we'll just unpack that. There, there is an, an increasing number of what we would call alternative policies coming out, uh, especially coastal areas. And and it really is saying... Uh, if you think in terms of your house or your dwelling if you think of if you lift it and shook it upside down and everything that fell out that's the contents and that's the, the stuff you're insuring inside it. That's different from the dwelling. And what we're seeing to make it more effective or, or cost effective from a premium standpoint is carriers just saying look we'll just insure your dwelling. Like just the house itself. The contents is on you. Maybe very minimum liability so if you've got a pool or if you've got trampolines just beware. Um, and so that's that's becoming more prevalent along the East Coast in Florida, and I suspect it's going to make its way to uh, to the Northwest, and then certainly to to, to California. As a, as, a, as a mode of affordability, it's not the right way to do it, but it might be a short term fix until companies can get a more competitive environment and uh, market forces take hold and, and free enterprise does its job, right? America is the great free enterprise uh, nation of the world. Because of that, you've you got to let free enterprise work its way
1: through. That. But doesn't but there a word of caution that attends to that? And I realize that this doesn't uh, apply in everyone's case, but there are perhaps people listening right now that say, you know, when grandma passed away, I inherited all of the antique furniture that she had from the old house in San Francisco that was built in 1895. And we've got a sideboard worth $3,000 and this, that, and the other thing. Maybe you've got a collection of, you know, I, I, I don't know, bric-a-brac of some sort that's got some, some inherently high value to it. If you go for the cheapo insurance that just includes, I mean, dirt doesn't burn, so you don't have to worry about insuring the land, but you do have to insure the house, but isn't the contents under certain circumstances also necessary to consider?
2: Absolutely, we wouldn't recommend going without it, you know, because that's 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 where your your memories and your your pictures and your guns and your jewelry and your uh, keepsakes and your collectibles are. But uh, in in a uh, an environment where it's becoming really punitive financially to maintain home insurance, that's an option. But you're absolutely right that um, those are sometimes the most important things you want to insure for and insure against uh, loss. Um, It's just that desperate times call for desperate measures, and it could be that these are things that that, uh, weave their way into the – to the mindset of
1: consumers. Final question for you, Jeff, and I, I'm, I'm starting to regret only having you on for half an hour, so we'll have to find a good excuse to have you back on real soon. But, you know, we have become a generation now that is used to doing a lot of our purchases online. We go to Amazon for this, that, and the other thing. We need airplane tickets. Great. We go to, you know, cheapotickets.com. We get the greatest value. That's the way we do our shopping. And I would suspect there are some people listening right now that have bought their car insurance or their homeowner insurance the same way and if the renewal comes in the renewal offer hits every year and there's not a stunning spike in the price we we pay it and we move on I'm wondering if there's a scenario here in insurance where, much like getting a home loan, for example, you know, maybe you've done business with the big uh, bank for years and years. You walk in and say, hey, I'm buying a house. Give me a loan. They offer you, you know, what they've got, and that's the end of it. And you may not realize that there are three or four other lenders out there that can offer you a considerably better deal, lower closing costs, uh, maybe a significantly greater rate, but. You know, you haven't shopped the market because you're just doing. You know, what's the cheapest or what seems to be the most familiar? Does it make sense? Two questions. Does it make sense to use an insurance broker so that they can look at all the options that are out there, not necessarily the cheapest, but what, what's going to be best for you and your needs? And should you make sure if if you do go that route that that agent is on an annual basis reevaluating your needs to make sure that things have not changed in such a fashion that you might suddenly find yourself to be underinsured when you inherit that huge expensive collection from grandma and uh, you suddenly find out the existing homeowner's insurance is inadequate to cover the value of the contents.
2: Absolutely true, so a couple of things on those two questions. <clears throat> we teach people, uh, and of course I own uh, insurance firms and insurance brokerages, but we teach uh, our agents and, and consumers, buy the agent, not the insurance. And not that there's anything wrong with going direct or you know trying to save money by shopping online, but again, these are legal contracts, and so it's, if, if, if the cheap airline ticket that you bought um, gets you a layover, you're stuck for that night, but if the cheap insurance policy you bought doesn't have any liability or has a you know an exclusion for the very thing that calls the fire, then then that's on you. <clears throat> so again, you know, buy the agent, not the insurance. And then, you know, there is built into most professional insurance firms and insurance companies a review process. What happens is most consumers, and rightly so, presume this to be an opportunity to sell them more insurance and no one wants to buy more insurance right so again you have to pivot that to say this isn't a sales call or a review call uh this is a let you know what you have tell us if anything else has changed do you do you want to have questions about your coverage and so uh, it, reviews are important and the last thing i would say is regardless if you use an agent or you buy direct There is nothing wrong with keeping your agent or keeping your insurance company honest by at least shopping every other year, if not every year. Just remember the single biggest takeaway, you get what you pay for. It's not just about the premium. Find out what's not covered.
1: Yeah, that's really solid advice. And again, you know, it's easy in in a day and an age with hyperinflation that we're you know trying to squeeze the, the last ounce out of every nickel, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to think that the best price means the best deal. Uh, but the cheapest is not always the best, particularly when it comes to protecting what is arguably the single most valuable investment that you will ever have—the place that has provided shelter and home to you and your family. Jeff has been a great- great conversation and by the way i was just here during the break perusing jeff's website oh he's got all kinds of great resources and goodies and educational videos and books and free publications available too so this isn't the commercial but i'm going to give him a plug here check him out online jeff that's jeff jeff what a great education to spend some time with you i hope we get a chance to do it again soon
2: Craig, I I consider it an honor to spend time with you. Thank you so very
1: much. You bet. There's Jeff Arnold, consumer advocate, insurance industry expert with some great insights. Take it to heart, could wind up saving you lots of money. Online at JeffArnold.com.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We
1: have been following the story out of uh, Chino, California, the battle ensuing between um, the school district there and the state attorney general Bonta's office that essentially says, yeah, parental rights, ah, don't need those things. Uh, Remarkably, the notion that I, and I mentioned earlier tonight that we even need to have a regulation that would compel teachers to inform parents as to what's going on in the life of their son or daughter, and then when such a policy is put into place as it was in the Chino Unified School District to be told by the Attorney General's office, yeah, you can't do that. I mean, it. you know, welcome, welcome to, uh, I don't know, what is this? Welcome to Fahrenheit 451 in, in real life. Let's get an update on what's going on. Greg Burt joins us director of capital engagement for the California Family Council. And, you know, as long as you and I have been talking, Greg, and as as stunning as some of these things become that you would think after a while you'd get numb to it. But I got to tell you, Sacramento just never ceases to disappoint when it comes to to coming up with outlandish ways of violating parental rights.
3: Well, that's that is true, but don't get discouraged because uh, local school districts are taking up the charge to, we're opposing them now. And so we got, what is it, five school districts that have passed, uh, we call them parental notification policies. Um, now, this is uh, something simple, right? You wouldn't think it would be controversial, but it, all it says is if a kid, um, no matter how young, five, six, seven, if they tell their teacher that they want to be identified as a different sex, and they want to use different bathrooms, they want everybody to know, then, you know, parents should be notified. That's it. Just parents should be notified. And that's what's causing all this crazy uh, controversy, because supposedly parents are dangerous, and the state has an obligation to protect parents from those parents who might not agree with their young little boy thinking they're a girl or some other you know of the hundred gender options out there now that they're all learning about
1: in this particular case, and you mentioned there's some good news here um, you know we 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 certainly saw that the AG 's office filed lawsuit. Against That's right. the Chino School District because of their parental notification policy. Um, g- give us what's the uh, what, what, what's the good news? What's the what's the what's the word I'm looking for here? The silver lining.
3: The silver lining. Well, we've started a good fight. Is what we've done. We're taking on this notion that it's it's bad for parents to know about their kids' struggles with gender. Right. Because currently the, the policy is uh, pushed by the Department of Ed here in California to all the school districts is that the gender identity of a kid uh, needs to be secret from their parents um, and that they shouldn't be involved with that decision. And that kids as young as five have privacy rights uh, from their own parents. Now, this is this is ridiculous. We wouldn't do this in any other topic or, uh, but that is what they're arguing. And so we're challenging it, saying the law doesn't get, doesn't uh, say that. The, the California Constitution doesn't say that. And the U.S. Constitution uh-huh. definitely protects parental rights and the right of parents to guide the uh, education and upbringing of the child. And the school district has no right to keep that kind of thing secret. So, So we've challenged this, and now they're coming back and saying, oh, that's illegal, and so they've sued us, right? And now they're going to have to defend this whole idea that five-year-olds have privacy rights. So go for it. What, what's, and they got a judge, and they got a judge uh, this week to put the policy on hold until the hearing can be uh, in 30 days, they're going to have a hearing on it.
1: You know, what's particularly, I think, remarkable about all of this, Greg, we all hear the stories that any time there is a, a slippage of responsibility by a parent and there is perceived abuse, be it physical or emotional or mental well-being, the state is quick to step in the Child Protective Services is quick to step in and remind the parent of their responsibility to look out after the, the health and well-being of that child. And yet, yet there are certain exceptions, apparently, that when the parent attempts to do the very thing that the state compels them to do, they occasionally say, oh, but not in this case. So it's only certain types of well-being, only certain types of health, which just shows you how duplicitous all of this is. There there is, though, another silver lining. I understand that recently there was a tremendous victory for a parent um, who has reached a six-figure settlement with another California school district over, quite frankly, a very similar topic.
3: No, exactly. Uh, It was Jessica Conan, and she had a sixth-grader in Speckle Union uh, School District in Monterey, California, and her daughter in sixth grade uh, joined something called the Equality Club. And Equality Club, how innocent does that sound? But what they were really doing in this club is they were teaching... Her about LGBTQ concepts, uh, transgenderism, bisexuality, right? And this is a very vulnerable time for young girls, you know, going through puberty, they're uncomfortable with their bodies, you know, they're insecure, and they got her convinced that she was really a boy. Um, but they gave her articles and information on how this information should be kept from her mother and they actually put her on something called a gender support plan that requires school staff to refer to her as a male, uh, but at the same time, when talking to the parent, refer to her as her original name and her original pronouns, right? Her real pronouns. Um, and the parent finally found out about this, uh, was upset uh, that her daughter... Uh, Unbeknownst to her, was being secretly transitioned uh, to a new sex, Um, and she got very upset, and she confronted them, um, and you know they called CPS on her, right? And well, she eventually filed a lawsuit uh, because these two teachers that did this, they were actually uh, going and doing seminars. To other schools uh, with the Teachers Association, teaching them how to recruit kids into the LGBT club, hide that information from parents, don't let them know that these clubs are happening, and then uh, it, was, it was a whole recruiting. They would actually even go through their internet searches of kids to see which kids were interested in LGBT uh, information, right, as potential recruits to come to their clubs. That's that's what's going on behind the scenes, and so she filed a lawsuit that this was a violation of parental rights, and she won. I mean, she didn't. There didn't have to be a uh, a trial. They didn't want to go to trial. They just settled.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. It well, I think they, they saw the direction that 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 was headed in, and you know, again, the notion of not allowing a parent. I mean, it, it, this are there cases where a parent may freak out and and engage in an over-the-top, maybe even potentially violent reaction to a child who announces that they're dealing with gender dysphoria? Yes, there are cases of that. Uh, Do children need to be protected from parents that might react in that kind of fashion? Uh, I I believe so. But we're not talking about daily incidences. And what we're essentially doing is we're, we're we're presuming that every parent is going to be nasty and evil and threaten to throw the child out to the street and whatever else. I mean, it, it the 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 picture that it paints of the average parent. is just horrifying. I mean, it's suggesting that, well, none of you have the right to parent your child as you see fit, and the state knows better. Oh, but I guess at the end of the day, that's exactly the message they're trying to convey. Unbelievable. Greg Bird, Director of Capital Engagement for the California Family Council. Information available on the web at californiafamily.org.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We
1: are remarkably turning an exciting new chapter when it comes to women involved in ministry and uh, taking on roles to have a greater and greater impact. And in some ways, frankly, even picking up some of the slack that men have left behind where we've either failed to um, execute our, our duties or just gotten so distracted by, you know, business and things of that sort. So it's high time and, of course, um, as this transition is is taking place, providing the kind of direction encouragement and support skills becoming ever increasingly important that's why the lead bold conference is coming back to the san francisco bay area hosted by crosswinds church in livermore september 15 (coughs) pardon me 15 and 16 and to tell us all about it is executive director and conference organizer andrea coley with lead bold andrea welcome back
4: Hey, Craig. It's great to be back with you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You know, I had a chance to kind of peruse the list of workshops that you're going to be offering during this uh, two-day women's conference, again, September 15 and 16. And I'll mention here that folks can get more information and register online by going to leading... (laughs) Pardon me, a little tickle in the back of the throat tonight. Leadingbold.org. That's leadingbold.org. But I was excited to see, but boy, you guys are just really clicking on all eight cylinders in terms of of not only helping to encourage women to develop their leadership skills, but also to really understand what it means to have the characters of a bold leader and how to minister in the changing place of, of, of today's world, today's society.
4: I really appreciate that. You know, we have a really broad reach. Yes, it is women. They're all leaders. They're all in ministry. But at the same time, they come with different sets of skills and strengths, different experiences and backgrounds. So with our workshops in particular, we really try to offer a wide variety of content that they can sort of curate how they're going to be built into during those workshops. So if they need one that is a little more content heavy or even exegetical in terms of women's leadership, we've got that. If they need one that allows them to have some tools for uh, kind of rest and, and understanding how to be centered in Jesus, we've got that. And um, yeah, we we have some amazing speakers at those workshops. So I I know that the women who go to those will be not only encouraged but equipped for where God has
1: them. I think, in particular, too, it's notable, and 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 certainly, I think, of a special interest to folks here in the Bay Area that you're very upfront in terms of addressing the dynamic of the marketplace, and by that I mean that we not only talk about precise skills and tools available to minister to different age groups um, you know, it's not just about the baby boomers anymore, even though the folks my age all believe that it is. So understanding their needs, their passions, their ways of thinking uh, and, and, and unique to millennials and Gen Z and so forth. And then also taking into consideration that, wow, what a blessing we have here in the San Francisco Bay Area to be such a cross section of global ministry in that you name it, you'll find people from every tribe, every culture, every tongue, right here in the San Francisco Bay Area and with such a tremendous degree of ethnic diversity in the San Francisco Bay Area, equipping women in leadership to know how to address how to meet needs, how to really in a very dynamic fashion uh, go forth and presenting the gospel I, I think it's fantastic that you guys are are straight up front with that, it's not a oh you know here's one page of the workshop you know, we'll spend 10 minutes talking about diversity and then move on but this is really the, the sense of providing a a, a overall broad scope front and center of what you're offering during this exciting two-day conference I think is fantastic
4: yeah I I appreciate that yes absolutely we have um women leading in all sorts of spaces and certainly no matter what age you are you are working alongside and leading millennials and gen z and gen alpha so we do have a specific workshop dedicated to helping us no matter where we fall um, i'm a general Xer, uh in uh, wherever we fall in our kind of generation to know how to lead well and to love well um and then absolutely we um We all come from different um, kind of makeups of what our ministries look like, some more diverse than others in all sorts of ways. But one of our hearts and one of the ways that we want to equip These women who are leading in their churches or faith based nonprofits is how do we have um, a really open and um, kind of story filled perspective on how do we understand our own stories and our own backgrounds and cultures and how do we embrace and receive others as well and what does that look like for how we lean into being really strategic and intentional about about being more diverse in our in our ministry areas, so um I one of the things that I'm really excited about with our conference is that I love to get other women up in front of other women. So we, we've we brought in people who are experts in these areas. Not any one of us could teach all these workshops, but each of these workshop speakers comes with so much expertise in their area. So I'm eager to get to learn from these women as
1: well. And I love that sense of intentionality about all of this, because let's face it, to be effective in ministry in the San Francisco Bay Area, you know, we need to know how to be flexible. There has to be that sense of, of, of a dynamic to what, what we're doing in every way in which we outreach and grow, uh, be it a church ministry or uh, an outreach ministry, whatever it might be. Now, let me ask you this. We, we've talked a bit about some of the content, but in terms of who this is specifically targeted for, I would imagine there might be some women listening right now saying, wow, that sounds fascinating. I'd love to be involved, but I'm really not in a leadership position. I mean, I I have a calling. I, I, I think I know where the Lord is is leading me, but I'm not quite there yet. Give me a sense, Andrea, in terms of who is this really designed for?
4: We are a ministry that is really focused in developing leaders, whether that's somebody who's been leading for a long time and they're continuing to grow and learn, as we all should be, or whether they're somebody who maybe is what we might call a pre-leader or a potential leader or someone who's younger who has just only been given certain leadership Um, sort of mantles and yet knows they have that potential and maybe even knows they have that call. So we welcome anybody in that gamut. Um, We just we really try to make it very high level leadership content. And what that means is that if you've been leading for a long time, you're still going to learn from something. And if you haven't been, Maybe some of it isn't applicable to you yet, but you absolutely will get what exactly what God has for you as you grow in your leadership. Um, as far as um, the kind of leaders that we have or the spaces that they're in, we have all sorts of different kinds of ministry, whether you're serving in the church on a staff or pastoral role, or in a volunteer leadership capacity, uh, or whether you're in a parachurch organization or a nonprofit, Anything that is um, a ministry focus where you're leading in some capacity, Lead Bold has something for you. So we hope that nothing gets in the way of a woman who is leading in some way in ministry to to. Come join us next Friday and Saturday. It's definitely going to be worth
1: it. And again, this is going to be held Friday and Saturday, hosted by Crosswinds Church in Livermore. And complete details regarding uh, reservations and uh, what's going to be involved and all the conference speakers, the various workshops available online at leadingbold.org. That's leadingbold.org. Walk us through briefly. I know everybody has their favorites. I'm curious from your perspective, Andrea, what are are some of the, the workshops that really stand out? to you this year?
4: Ooh, that's an unfair question because, of course, I love them all equally. <laughs> They're like my children. <laughs> um, I will say this. I'm going to dodge that question and maybe not say my favorite workshop, but I will tell you one of my favorite parts of the overall conference. And, you know, that is um, we designate some time during our our entire conference where we uh, set up the women to have really just some one-on-one time with God. Uh, We're very intentional about giving them a lot of space to get to know each other, be in small group discussion, kind of rub shoulders with each other and meet other women in ministry because that is a big thing that we need as women leaders because we so often don't have that network of peers. At the same time, we know that we need to have things that only Jesus can give us. And so we actually carve out time in our schedule to send the women out onto our campus at Crosswinds, which is a beautiful outdoor campus that used to be a dairy farm about a hundred years ago, literally. Um, And we just say, you know, take this guide that we've written for you. Don't talk to anyone else. Just go find a place to sit and listen And pray and journal and really attune yourself to what God has for you. And I got to say, hopefully not in a creepy way, but I love to walk around the campus during that time and just look at these women who are all simultaneously having conversations with God, really important um, Trajectory shifting conversations sometimes, and it's just a humbling space to be in.
1: You know, rarely would you hear somebody say, Oh, well, one of the best parts of the conference is, is the quiet time, but I love <laughs> what you just said. And let me tell you why. Because for any of us that have gone to advances and retreats, whatever you call them, and, and workshops and what have you, and oftentimes you'll have dynamic speakers and get a chance to, you know, converse with others in the same, you know, area of ministry, share best practices, pray together, all of it. And how often do we say at the end of that time, wow, it was phenomenal, but it was like drinking through a fire hose. I just didn't have time to process. And then it was over before we knew it back in the car back home back into the routine and I just didn't get a chance to allow it to kind of of, of, of bubble for a while you know and and absorb in and be able to you know we talk with each other and never had a chance to have a conversation with God though I think it's right. brilliant that you have purposely intentionally designed into the program that kind of time and I think it really promises women a fine a fin- phenomenal outcome by experiencing seen a conference like this, that it's just uh, not just by by happenstance, but really designed to allow you to um, walk away with not only a sense of encouragement and enlightenment and you know exhortation from each other, learning best practices, but also an opportunity to help absorb a lot of this so that you can get home fired up and know exactly how to implement what you've learned into your own ministry. The Leading Bold Conference, again, uh, Lead Bold coming to... San Francisco Bay Area that's going to be September 15 and 16 so it's barely a week away so don't delay, make your reservations today for the upcoming Lead Bold Conference by going to the website leadingbold that's L-E-A-D-I-N-G leadingbold.org and get more information and make your reservations online today again September 15 and 16 hosted by Crosswinds Church in Livermore, complete details about the schedule, speakers and reservations online by going to leadingbold.org. That's leadingbold.org. Our thanks to Executive Director of Lead Bold, Andrea Coley, for being with us. Andrea, thank you so much for the time.
4: Thanks, Craig. It was great to talk with you, and I appreciate you helping us spread the word about the conference.
1: You bet. And I hope every woman that's listening that's involved in leadership of any sort that you'll get involved, get plugged in, get those batteries charged, and and learn what it means to engage in real intentional ministry. Again, the Lead Bold Conference, September 15 and 16, details on the web at leadingbold.org